Technicast hosts the research platform Invitations for a series of four conversations. Invitations is part of a series of online events around the topic of creative invitations and the relationship between maker, subject, screen and audience in moving image work, as well as wider contexts of artistic practice. This series came about through conversations with fellow Techne-funded PhD students Jude Attil, Mark Ariel Waller, Astrid Corporal and Therese Henningsen. This conversation is an Arts and Humanities Research Council funded event as part of the Techne Consortium for PhD Research Studentships. My name is Judah Atiel, here online with writer and curator Taylor Lamel, who is a cooperative member of Not Nowhere, the London-based Artist Workers Cooperative that programmes workshops, screenings, exhibitions and other events. Welcome. Thank you. It's really nice to have this sort of syncretic time together because this is a crazy pandemic time and one's never aware of what other people are doing. Um, so it's also a very sensitive time to make invitations. Um, so I've got, as you know, we've got some guidelines for our discussion. And I just wanted to start, first of all, Ree, to ask you a question. So I've been listening to the wonderful recordings that you made with guests, you know, through Not Nowhere. And I was listening to a recording of you and um, uh, Rihanna Zaman in conversation. And there was a point in which you yeah. spoke about invitations. You know, I think you, you were talking about um, that artists aren't always working um, from a place of ecstasy because <laughs> they have to survive. Yeah. Um, and you were talking about the nature of an invitation. Do you remember what you said? So I've just got little prompts here. I do remember what I said, um, what, we, what we spoke about. It was kind of about this, and it's tough, you know, because I, I know that much of our, you know, much of our discipline, unfortunately, is built on ideas of scarcity. So, you know, the kind of prevailing idea is that when an invitation comes in to do something with anyone, um, that we should be excited, right? Um, and that maybe the default answer would be yes. Um, and what Rahana and I were talking about is, I guess just ways that we've tried to shift that and like really assess the invitation for what it is and maybe before coming to this, I mean, I almost want to controversially say before, or maybe not before, but in tandem with appreciation for the invitation, to actually really um, not only read it for what it is, but to pay attention to how 
how the, I think what I said is how the invitation kind of rumbles through your body on like a gut level, on an intuitive level, you know, um, and to, and to kind of react to things from there, you know, ra- rather than like, I should do this or, you know what I mean? It would be good if I was seen to do this or whatever, because all, all of those things are really strong, but I would hope that our intuition is stronger in terms of like, my body already knows that this institution is going to make me crazy or my bar, my body already knows I don't have time to do this in the way that I would want to, or, you know, that sort of thing. And I really liked what you said about, um, sometimes, um, institutions don't know us well enough to offer us invitations yeah. that serve us well. Yeah, I mean, I would say so, pro- probably so. for the most part. <laughs> so, so hence my anxiety. I mean, Mark, Astrid and Therese know the anxiety I had, you know, in framing this invitation. But it's just a consciousness about time and how precious time is and how busy everybody is. And I know not Nowhere's program, so I know the popularity of, uh, of the work you do and, and the, the, the requirements on you to fulfil that work. So I was really, really concerned about framing it in a way that would make it of interest to you, that it wouldn't be a waste of time or something that we just did and it was over. I'm, I'm really pleased that I was able to get to a place where we could actually arrive at this threshold of the invitation uh, to to have a conversation. So thank you so much, Taylor. Yeah, no problem. I mean, the other thing, wait, can I just quickly say also, the other thing is that when, I, when I'm speaking about, when I was speaking about invitations in that way from, uh, with Rahana, you know, I, I think that, yes, institutions don't often kind of know us well enough to, to, to make a good invitation, like, you know, and I would be happy to argue about that with someone, but I won't spend time on that here. But I do think that there's also, I mean, we should, we should also, I guess, still consider, you know, peer-to-peer invitations with, um, you know, with a level of respect. But I do think an invitation kind of between practitioners is, is slightly a different power dynamic than, or actually it's a very different power dynamic and a very different um, thus the invitation, the nature of the invitation is obviously going to be different when it comes from, um, you know, so from my perspective, I won't even be so bold as to call you up here a mentor. <laughs> um, but do you know what I mean? I, so I just wanted to clarify that one thing, you know. Let me tell you, I think your generation are my mentors. You're just so absolutely fabulous. And the formal introduction I had to Not Nowhere was from registration as a place that I could maybe go and speak to uh, the cooperative. And so it's just amazing that you have that recognition amongst filmmakers, independent filmmakers, as a viable um, platform and campus for experimental film work. And I wonder if you're aware of, of your standing in the sector. You know, it's funny. I, I feel like I'm just starting to learn. Um, for one, you know, for us, I think that, well, so when we uh, inherited this amazing kind of collection of 16 millimeter cameras, Super 8 cameras, and the associated equipment from um, Brad and Noor and James at Nowhere, um, there were, you know, ob- obvious kind of like spatial restrictions. So the space that we're in now is about maybe a third of the size of the space that the equipment came from and so one of our big missions has been to try to find a a bigger and more appropriate space for our activities one in which we can have 
um, a lab that functions at the level uh, that it used to, kind of in the heyday of nowhere. Um, and so, you know, in, in characteristic fashion where, you know, one maybe pays attention to one's own flaws rather than one's own strengths, I guess I'd always, I have um, always, you know, worried that our current, although not permanent, um, kind of lack of uh, development capabilities uh, would mean that we wouldn't be so useful to filmmakers, right? But I've been learning more and more recently, and, I, and it's actually really been, for me, it's been through the writing workshops, and we're also doing equipment hire, and there's also, you know, a fair amount of filmmakers who really do enjoy just the kind of knowledge exchange, right, with Rhea and with Jennifer. Um, but it's really only recently that I've been able to kind of see that actually, um, you know, the services that we can provide, uh, filmmakers are using them. And also the things that the filmmakers who use our platform make um, are really cool. I'm, I'm actually fairly embarrassed to say I've, I've cried two times watching films of, <laughs> of Not Nowhere Community NN members just for the sheer fact of like, the kind of very heavy realization that they used our equipment to make something, you know, and that like that, um, that kind of process of realization has been quite emotional and heavy so much that it's moved me to tears twice, you know. It's really interesting because another reason I wanted to speak to you is because you have not yet made a film and here you are at the center yeah. of this organization. And that was really attractive to me because sometimes filmmakers have uh, sort of learnt perceptions around film and filmmaking but as somebody in your position as a curator, publisher, writer I was really keen to speak to you because of this crossover between filmmaking and writing they're so they're so intimately linked. Well you're right I um, before Not Nowhere I would have primarily described myself as a film and performance curator um, I, I wouldn't actually have even really described myself, been so bold to describe myself as a writer three years ago. I think that's also something that has grown in me through the support of the cooperative, right? But um, yeah, basically at the time, maybe about 2017, I think it was, um, 2016, 2017, um, myself and uh, an artist named Imran Peretta were, we were running these, um, uh, actually, it wasn't just us. There were there were four other people involved as well. Um, Shanice Aretha, Adam Farah, Christopher Karubi, and Dominique White um, were also co-running with us these uh, sort of informal crit sessions. Basically, we had this kind of structure where just sort of through word of mouth, we had kind of built this um, mailing list of BIPOC uh, artists, mainly who had either kind of just graduated from BA or just graduated from an MA. Um, and we had this kind of uh, crit space where we would do, you know, two people would present their work, we'd have like a short crit, and then we'd have a dinner. So it was, it was um, I guess, kind of designed to be um, a space that would um, not only kind of replace or, or um, fill, the, fill the void that is lost from this kind of like regular um, practice of of critiquing work that uh, folks may have been finding in their in their formal education experiences, but I guess also to kind of replay that experience um, 
in a group where no one had to teach anyone about racism or sexism or colonialism or ableism or anything like that. So the idea being that like you're in a group of people who already know that all those things exist. And so now we can actually just talk about the work because you don't, you know, if you have a, so to use Dreaming Rivers as an example, you know, if you came to that crit session, the, the idea being that like you wouldn't have to somehow defend the character's experience as legitimate, we could actually just like talk about them as characters, right? So that was the group that we were um, running together and we met um, I don't know, a few times a year. Um, and um, we tried to actually really get a, um, a kind of intergenerational group of people attending to give those crits as much as possible. I was really pleased every time that we were able to kind of do that. Um, we had, uh, Ayn Bailey came one time, uh, Joy Gregory came one time, um, and one time actually Noor Afshan Mirza came. And um, it was actually through uh, her coming to that event that she then kind of, you know, let Imran and I know that. Um, Nowhere at, at the time was looking to um, transition its kind of assets and activities to a new generation. And um, one of the things that Imran and I kind of discussed at that time is like the only way to do that would be to set it up as a, as a cooperative. Um, and one of the other people who um, used to attend that crit group, uh, an artist called Evan Ifakoya, um, I feel like this is a massive like name ro roll call, but I feel like it is important for the record. <laughs> um, Evan uh, introduced us to an artist named Ria Store, who uh, was working, who had just graduated from um, RCA, I think, and was working in 16 millimeter film. And so that's how it started, basically. Imran and um, Ria got did a did a number of training days with James Holcomb on on all of the equipment. Um, and myself and Nora, we set about to kind of lobby to the Arts Council to transfer the um, MPO status that Nowhere had um, over to the next generation, which was going to be called Not Nowhere. And that process um, finally kind of came to a successful conclusion in January of 2019. Now, by January 2019, we had already basically started doing workshops and things like that. But in terms of the kind of formal, um, you know, formal beginning, uh, we incorporated in the summer of 2018 and we, uh, I guess, garnered official recognition from the Arts Council uh, in the beginning of 2019. So I, one of the earliest workshops I attended was quite soon after your incorporation, because I think I did the um, 16 millimeter Bolex camera workshop in 2019. Yeah. But, but yeah. I must say as well, the the environment, the learning environment you're able to create because uh, Ria led the Bolex workshop and if I remember rightly, she led the found footage workshop as well. And uh, the workshops tend yeah. to be quite small groups. I think I remember about six, seven people perhaps, but there's such a sensitivity um, to time, to listening and even Ria's voice is such a gentle listening voice that it's a very calming place to to working and for people who are neuro um, diverse or have you know neurodivergent needs and, and I'm dyslexic it's an, it's an amazing amount of stillness in which to concentrate 
and to learn. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I wonder whether it's something you nurture within the organisation, within the, within the cooperative. Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I, I remember being really kind of pleasantly surprised how much Rhea had a kind of pre-existing interest in teaching, right? So there, you know, not all artists who know a particular skill, even one as kind of um, now niche or, or specialized, for lack of a better word, as, as 16 millimeter actually want to teach, right? Uh, meaning, you know, would be happy to maybe show some casually, but aren't interested in kind of like holding space for people coming into this knowledge for the first time. Um, and so I, you know, but that was something that Rhea really brought um, on our own. Now, what we have talked about quite a bit um, in the intervening years, so, so now the co-op um, includes also an artist called Jennifer Martin, um, who runs the Super 8 workshops. And the three of us, um, Rhea, Jennifer, and I, we do, we have talked a lot about um, how to kind of you know, hold space for different learning styles. Um, we've definitely talked a lot how uh, talked a lot how to hold space for different learning styles in the context of now in pandemic times having to shift our focus away from you know these gatherings of six people in a small space, right? So we've definitely talked about it in that context. Um, what I think has has been more of a of a developmental conversation is between myself and um, an artist and poet named Daniela Valsgen, whose workshops I also know you've taken, um, about how particularly in the writing workshops we can make it so that people feel safe enough to experiment and to share and to explore um, in their writing, you know. But I, I, I can't take credit for it. I think if anything, like I, re I really learn a lot from, you know, Jennifer and Rhea's kind of uh, pre-existing commitments to teaching. I think that was definitely something that they that they brought to the co-op. wasn't really something that the co-op. It's like what we benefit from, not what we can so take then, credit just for developing. On to you know? writing your sentence structure, writing workshop, is something that developed before Not Nowhere. Is that right? Did it develop through turf? It actually developed through um, an exhibition that I, th I think you've seen, um, which is two summers ago, uh, Imabasi Okan's uh, exhibition at the Chisholm Hill Gallery. Now the title, I wouldn't even purport to remember what it was. I remember it was a long title. Um, and she invited me to do a workshop and I had been for so for one I had already been thinking it, because of not nowhere and in the context of not, not nowhere like you've already said I, I haven't made a film yet and so I was thinking about okay what what is it that I could actually um share in a workshop setting and um I guess other than a very I, I had ideas of doing like very practical things like how to do a funding application blah blah but I, I also really didn't want to I don't want not nowhere to become this thing where we're basically um, making better professionals or something like that so I had look I had been looking for another like sort of workshop to do that was more along the lines of something that I, I felt more facility with and um, I had been thinking a lot that year about um, my own writing and noticing kind of the way that I would write, uh, the way that I would edit myself when I wrote was according to a kind of pre-prescribed sort of set of grammatical rules, like a very specific set. I mean, there's like probably two or three English grammar books 
Um, one's called Element of Style that was very popular when I was in school. Um, and I, I realized that I actually, although I had totally forgotten those things from the forefront of my mind, that I was actually still using those um, rules as a way to edit myself when I wrote. And I don't mean that in a good way, like it was kind of a hindrance, right? So I really wanted to try to, I guess, confront that and then also share that confrontation with other people in terms of really digging into um, what are the assumptions behind uh, this idea of a, of a correct English grammar. So having that kind of like general discussion and then also just encourage, I mean, knowing that, you know, filmmakers do write um, and also knowing that many artists that I knew kind of would describe themselves as either struggling to write or not feeling confident with writing. Um, also just wanting to kind of like, um, I guess sort of demystify it a little bit, but maybe instill people with the confidence that I was in the process of instilling myself with to basically say, okay, there are these set of rules around English grammar. Like that's just one of my options. I don't have to actually really learn that if I don't want to, um, especially in the, especially in the realm of creative writing, right? Like, you know, academic essay writing might be a bit different, but especially in the realm of creative writing. So anyway, so I first developed that, that workshop, um, through the commission um, at Chisholm Hill, I, I certainly had always intended that that be something that become a regular offering. And, you know, my, my sort of vessel for regular offerings is not nowhere. So yeah, and, and, and actually I did do a kind of truncated version of that workshop uh, for TERF as well, you're right. I've got a number of publications on my lap that I want to just mention. And I think I, I appreciate your roll call of names I think it's easy to forget people's names and the team the invitations team um, are putting up resources to go with each encounter so I do have Ima Abassi Ocon's program here and again I listened to an interview that you had a discussion you had with her about her work and I'm just amazed uh, uh, by your both of you, the way you have such a deep appreciation for the graphic representation of ideas on the page. You know, both of you were talking about the contest around how to actually pronounce or to speak the exhibition title. I think it's beyond most people. But what was interesting was she said that she was quite inspired by science fiction writer Samuel Delaney, who had used a certain type of ellipse to signify in the writing that all the preceding words were said at once. And that performativity in writing just gives me chills. The other thing also that I'm thinking as well about the, just quickly about the roll call is that um, those people that I've mentioned that were involved in the crit, I think, you know, you know, Christopher, you've also taken Christopher Karubi's workshop. Um, Adam Farah did a, a project for us last year. So it's actually one thing that I do really feel um, moved to point out is that not Nowhere has also become a way to have a sort of long-term curatorial relationship with those artists who I came to know during that era of doing crits, right? And, you know, and you see that through the workshop that you took of Christopher's. Um, and, um, but yeah, but to, to, to this thing about um, this kind of like relationship to writing, yeah, I mean, I feel like, um, hmm, what can I say? I mean, I've talked to Emma about this. I've also talked to Ian Bailey about this, about the kind of, let's say, translation of um, the translation of sound or affect into writing. 
Um, there's also an essay which I recently read, which I'll send you for the kind of resource guide um, by a poet named Holly Pester, and it's called um, Against Poet Voice, and basically talks about the kind of like, um, I guess the the political power of like imbuing one's voice with a certain like cadence of speech or whatever, or or not wanting to take for granted the the I you know the kind of like normal. I can't even really do normal poet voice, but she she describes it really um, succinctly. This sort of uh, tone and cadence that everyone seems to read their poems in as basically trying to like shake people out of this. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I guess the connection between between writing and and um, articulation or speech or performance has always been really interesting to me. Um, one of the workshops I really, really want to do that I was planning with Christopher before everything um, shut down is just a workshop on reading one's work aloud. And like the idea being that, you know, in order to join the workshop, you would have to bring some kind of um, piece of your own writing, whether it be a poem or whether it be an artist talk or or um, an essay or whatever or a thesis and just read it out loud and that we would kind of like work with that um so that's one of my like unrealized projects or dreams for the next time we can gather so anyway i feel like i've lost the thread of your question but hopefully that still helps <laughs> i'm looking forward to that workshop <laughs> so, so, so we're coming to a close we've got like one minute i know we'll stretch it to one more minute there's another lovely um publication and it's titled, I'm writing to invite you to contribute to a publication I'm producing currently titled. And there are about 25 circumflexes listed. But within yeah. within there, there's an essay yeah. by um, by Sampada Aranke. Is yeah. that right? Uh, yeah. it's, it's titled Exponential Blackness, Black Mathematical Predictive Force. And she talks about the work of an artist called her last name is Cummings, uh, called Blondell Cummings. And I'll just read a little bit. She says, Cummings herself has had expressed dedication to a kind of memory of the past for a future that will have been. And this is beautifully written because it just fits in so well with my appreciation of the way Derrida writes about um, the, 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 the to come, that future thing that's on its way. The unknown guests that will arrive, um, uh, and also, and also, Sisu Helen Sisu writes a bit about this type of aporia. I think they see the ultimate threshold as death. Um, I wouldn't go that far yet in my in my in my propositions, but I would say there is something about time. You know, being on the threshold of time, and what's really nice in this piece of writing is the way in which um, the writer talks about the use of the future anterior. Yeah, that's a really great essay um, and a really great publication. So I, I, um, I copy edited that uh, publication, Circumflex, that you're referring to, which was, you know, go just going back to your previous uh, thing about uh, sort of expressing um, different tones or affects graphically, like that book was quite a challenge because I don't know if you've noticed, but there's certain times there are certain citations which are um, italicized in one direction, certain citations which are italicized in another direction, certain things that are bolded. So there's, there were all these kind of like um, basically graphic cues to maybe different relationships to the text um, or, or um, you know, different, uh, yeah, relationships to the te text. But anyway, 
Um, I, I also think that there's, yes, the threshold of time for sure. And I also think, and this is the element of, of my conversation with both Emma and that book that is most important to me and, and maybe also brings us back around to the Not Nowhere Project, is um, the relationship to things that we can't see. Right. So this is maybe why like death for Sisu or for whoever is is like a is the ultimate threshold, because after death, whatever that ha- whatever has died, you can no longer see in the same way. Right. And um, I do think that there's something that I've been I guess that, you know, I've talked about with her and that also I think really informs on another level the the work of the cooperative in terms of like how can one hold you know and so for the cooperative it might be like the thing that we cannot see might be you know 100% self-sufficiency um you know a kind of thriving um resource for artists um maybe even a uh a source of stability for some artists um uh, a, a workplace in which there's a certain ethic of, of respect also for some artists um, or, or, or encouraging a kind of, um, let's say, a healthy or more sustainable relationship to one's work. Or, you know, all of these things that, um, you know, a place for a place where artists can come to make films and come to develop their films, um, a thriving lab community, a thriving community of, of uh, people who love 16 millimeter film, a thriving community of, of BIPOC artists, even BIPOC artists who love 16 millimeter film, all of these things, right, that are kind of motivate the project, but that we, we are, are not yet concrete in the sense that we cannot yet see them. So how do we then continue to operate um, uh, as if they are there and as if they are apparent or as if, like you saying, there's the kind of like, there's this um, uh, sort of bending of tense you know, like sort of bending the present into the future in order to, I guess, be nourished by this kind of affective success or this affective um, affective achievement that ha- has as of yet uh, or has yet to be made a reality, like a concrete reality, right? So I guess it's just like, it's really just about, the, for me, I think time is a good way of discussing it. Um, and I, I, and I also think the, the relationship to the visible is an, is another way of discussing it for me. Taylor, thank you so, so very much. Thank you. I, I'm, I look forward to being able to speak with you again. <laughs> see, see you next week. 